0: Well, good evening. Uh, For those of you who I haven't had the pleasure to meet yet, uh, my name is John. Um, I'm an associate pastor here at Chi Alpha. And if you're new here tonight, I just want to say welcome. It is so good to have you. Isn't really quick. Can we just give our worship team a round of applause to usher us into the presence of God? Come on. Man, that last song was making me like do a little like dramatic tear back in the corner back there. It was so good, man. God is good. Anyway, it's really good to be with you guys tonight. I thought I might start things off with sharing a little bit of my story, my background. Um, So here we go. So I was raised in a pretty small conservative church, and at this church I learned all kinds of stuff about Jesus um, and his life, but it never really clicked with me that I could ever have a relationship with Jesus. Um, and so, when I went to church i didn't really pay attention to the sermons i didn't engage in the worship time. Really, what happened is I kind of just was stuck in my head for the hour and a half that it was. We always did like a meal afterwards, so i'd go to a meal i 'd talk as little as possible because i I'm an introvert, so i 'm like, don't talk to me, don't look at me i'm gonna eat and i 'm gonna go home um, and so when I went home, I would, it wasn't really anything like super deep. To be honest with you, I'm not a very deep person in general. And so every time that I would feel something when I was growing up, it was usually anxiety. Um, I thought it was weak for a man to acknowledge that he had emotion, nonetheless, to actually talk about it. Um, and so I never talked openly about any kind of emotion, except for when I would confide confide in my mom about the worst thing that was going on in my life, and that usually happened about once a month. And it would be like a breakdown in tears, because I never knew how to actually process my emotions. And I think a big part of that is because I thought it was weak to have emotions. And so, eventually, this emotional isolation that I kind of was living with led to a shift in behavior as well. Um, I went around, and I wanted to really start drinking uh, pretty much as much as I could. I saw other guys around me do it, so I'm like, that's what I should do. Um, I really wanted to start fooling around with, like, women. This is, like, near the end of high school, because that's what culture told me that strong men do. So once I got to college, thankfully, I was introduced to Kyle for my freshman year. Um, But the first night, I was super uncomfortable, because the pastor got up, on stage in a much smaller room, and he was like talking to him about his story, and then he was like, you know what, I was addicted to pornography for like six years or something like that. And I was like, that's weird. <laughs> that's really weird. Um, and then also, he took me out to lunch one day, He's like, tell me about your emotions. And I was like, wait, I have those? <laughs> I thought I wasn't allowed, Um, but that made me really, really uncomfortable, and to be honest, it was a huge culture shock to me how somebody could be so open and not feel like it's something that has hindered them. Um, And that's still something that I kind of struggle with today. I struggle with that level of openness with people, and it's not because I actively think anymore that it's weak or because I'm less than, because I feel something, it's because Really what I think it is is that culture has kind of trained young men to not think about emotions or to not process them well. And so it's not that I don't think about sharing deep things. It's just I get kind of uncomfortable when it's my turn to confess sin. And realistically, it's probably similar to many of your stories in this room as well. Um, In our culture, we're told that we should not only like, close ourselves off a little bit, but we should always put on our best selves, right? We only really want other people to see the highlight reel. That's what Instagram is all about, right? And even in Christian circles, we're told to smile, be on our best behavior, and wear our Sunday best so that we don't look like there's anything that's wrong with us, especially when there is. And this might be something that you've experienced. You may struggle with a broken heart, a tough family position, or a deeply rooted sin. And until now, you've been told to put a brave face up because it's game time. And if any of this sounds familiar to, to you, let me say that it doesn't have to stay this way, nor should it. By living in a community that is committed to the lifestyle of Jesus, there's hope that you can be fully known and fully loved. And this week, we're going to continue our foundation series as we cover all three pillars of Chi Alpha here at UNI. And last week, we talked about real devotion, which is being intentionally intimate with Jesus. And next week, we're going to cover real responsibility, but tonight's message is called Real Community. We're going to dive into the second of the three pillars that are these quintessential building blocks of the culture here at Chi Alpha. And I hope you walk out of Lang tonight knowing how to build a biblical community. And in order to better understand real community before we dive into the scripture, let's define what real community is. It's in order to have real community, well, in order to have real community, we have to create vulnerable fellowship. There are kind of three aspects to real community here. Creation, vulnerability, and fellowship. See, creation refers to who organizes or initiates things. This first criteria should be one that gets met before we move on to the next two. So more practically, what does it mean? Do you ask people to go get coffee? Do you organize basketball games? Do you initiate your underwater basket weaving club meetings? I thought that one would get a few more laughs, but that's okay. (laughs) You know, whatever you do in your free time, do you ask your friends to do it? Or do you wait for the invitation And if you wait for that invitation, I would challenge you next time that you're feeling like doing something, just throw an invite out there. In order to say that we have real community, we should be the people who organize the Hangouts that we go to. So that's creation. Next is vulnerability, and this refers to how you talk about your life and your struggles. There's a difference between vulnerability and transparency. And take note of this, because transparency is when you have no problem telling the truth about your life, but you're not the one who brings it up. Transparency is when you have no problem talking about the truth about your life, but you're not the one who brings it up. Transparency for our purposes is when you wait for someone to ask about your issues, and then you tell them the full truth. You don't hold anything back. You tell them exactly what they asked, but you wait for them to ask. On the other hand, vulnerability is when you know that you did something wrong, so you confess it to someone urgently. Vulnerability is when you know you did something wrong, but you confess it urgently. Usually this person that you would confess it to is a small group leader. And really vulnerability is letting people do life with you. If there's a simple definition for that, it's just letting people do life with you. And it's not because like Christians are nosy or because we believe uh, that, oh sorry, it's not because Christians are nosy, but we believe that we confess to God for forgiveness, but we confess to our community for freedom. This means that um, when we go to people with our things, they can hold us accountable to do something better next time. So let's say from my example with our pastor, former pastor, who would confess uh, watching porn. It's like, well, you watch porn this week? It's an awkward question. That's probably not something that I'd be willing to ask early. But just for his sake, his soul would probably be in a better place. And finally, out of these three is fellowship. And fellowship refers to who we do life with. And this word is intentionally chosen because I can have a friendship with Alex in my small group, and I can be friends with Jordan, and I can be friends with Chase and Josiah and Theodore and Sam, but... Fellowship refers to us having a collective friendship together. It isn't just that my friendship with all of these guys tethers the group together, but instead they're drawn closer together because of their intimate friendship with each other. This creates a much stronger bond inside of community. This is how we define real community, creating vulnerable fellowship. If we are able to create real community, That will lead us into greater intimacy with each other. And in order to see this, we're going to turn to tonight's scripture, which is Romans 12, 9 through 18. It says, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves, never lacking in zeal, but keeping spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. I think there's something important about repetition there. Rejoice in those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay evil for evil, but consider. be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, would you speak tonight? Lord, I pray that these words aren't mine, but they're all yours. And Lord, would you help us to understand how to build a real community? We love you, Jesus. pray this in your name. Amen. So just to give you a little bit of context, Paul was someone who was killing Christians because of what they believed. Now, this is in ancient times, but he radically encountered Jesus through a vision and became one of the world's greatest missionaries in the name of Jesus. He started churches all over uh, the ancient Middle East and Asia, and he would often write to the churches that he helped start when they needed guidance. Paul likely writes this message to several small churches in ancient Rome, um, and he encourages them to live in deep intimacy with each other which will serve us tonight as the text in how to live in real community with each other. Now, these first two verses in our scripture show us what it means to love one another. And I'm assuming most of you have already written a paper in college. Will you nod your head if you already have? Sweet. So, when I was in college, my professors gave me the advice that your strongest point or your thesis should probably come early and often throughout your paper, right? Right? so that it's memorable and reinforced, and just the same in our text, the most important thing that comes first is that love must be sincere. Paul seems to suggest in this passage that the early Roman church might actually miss the full scope of what it means to have love. I believe that Paul is trying to say that love is more than just a feeling. Yes, I do love my small group with all of my heart, but it takes something more than just me saying it, right? There has to be action to show the evidence of love. Love to Paul isn't tolerance or acceptance, but it looks like it's serving others, especially when it's inconvenient. Paul actually defines love for us in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love as the action is one of the ways that we establish intimacy with others. And as Derek talked about last week, Power to be intimate with God, that helps us to also better understand that we should be intimate with each other. And the track of intimacy is the same it goes knowledge, depth, mutual dependence, which leads us to intimacy. Now, knowledge in our case, knowing someone isn't just knowing their favorite color, although that can be helpful sometimes, or which bone they broke in the second grade. Mine was my right arm. But knowing someone is spending so much time with them that you know the depths of their heart. How do we know one another? The point stands the same as intimacy with Jesus. We cannot know our community without getting time around them. In order to better understand who your friends are, you should try your best to create opportunities to get around them. If you feel like you don't know someone from your small group, it's probably because you haven't got enough time with them. Get with that person, share your story with them, and find out what you have in common. As our passage says in verse 9, that we have to be sincere in love. But how do we love someone without knowing who they are? Next is depth. But don't be fooled into believing that depth just naturally happens with every person. No matter how much time you spend with someone, it doesn't guarantee depth, right? And in all honesty, some people are generally more deep people. It's not necessarily a bad thing to be a less deep person, but you should be aware of where you stand. As I explained in my story, I'm not a very deep person, but I've tried to work hard to let other people know me more fully. If you're someone who struggles to get deep like me, or you don't even think about it, it just means you'll probably have to work a little extra hard to get there. And as our passage describes in verses 10 and 11, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves, never lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. You have to let other people into your life if you want to get deep with them. And sometimes you have to be ready to honor someone above yourself. When we know the depths of someone, someone's life, we get ready to push them in their faith. So it's not only lacking in zeal in our own lives, but also we help others grow too, right? So we expect others to get deep with we can't expect others to get deep with us unless we've begun the process ourselves. You see, vulnerability when we go to someone and confess before they ask us helps facilitate the formation of depth in our relationships. And it should also be no secret that when you tell someone about the deep, dark details of your life, you have no choice but to trust them more. And as you trust them more, you typically start to grow closer together. And this leads us even deeper as we trust. You may ask them to hold other parts of your heart as well. If you go through a rough season like a breakup or a loved one dying, the odds are that you have that person that you have the established trust with, that you're growing mutually dependent on, is the first person you go to as a friend. Just the same as when you have something great going on in your life, you should tell that person about the fortune that you have. Let them celebrate with you. We need each other, as Paul describes in verses 12 through 15, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality, bless those who persecute you, bless them and do not curse, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. When someone is distraught about a breakup, it's okay to cry. Mutual dependence isn't exercise just when someone has a huge meltdown level, though. Remember that when we do life with people, we should be inviting them to speak into our lives when we need advice or encouragement. It could be as simple as saying, hey, I need encouragement today. So this leads us to intimacy. When I have people come to me in tears over just about anything, it's likely that I'm gonna cry. So like, when my wife Casey comes and she's like, hey, my toe hurts, I'm like. (laughs) It's just like one, that same dramatic tear I was talking about over there. I just love her so much. Anyway, the intimacy that comes with fully knowing that person also produces pain in my heart as well, just as it should inside of an intimate relationship when they have something to rejoice about, someone else, when they have something to rejoice about, because I know every part of them, I don't have to fake happy feelings. But joy sprouts in my soul because I know what they're going through, because I know them. As Paul suggests, love equals action. We can see that action leads to intimacy. The proof of our love comes with how we live our lives together. On the other hand, we should also be ready to dismiss drama and clickiness in our lives. We should try our best to be the most welcoming group on campus. But when you grow deep in a small group of friends, a lot like small groups, uh, sometimes it can be easy to have a few friends at a time, which leads to clickiness. And clickiness leads to exclusion about, uh, with those around us and hurts those who aren't involved. So this is why the creation of fellowship is so important. We can't just include people who we prefer to be around. We need to be people who are ready to invite everyone and treat everyone with the same respect and honor. When we fall to clickiness and drama, it weakens our community and shows those around us that we aren't loving pe- the loving people that we claim to be. Everyone is welcome and has a place in the kingdom of God, even if they are awkward or less deep. Jesus doesn't show partiality, and we're called to do the same. We need to include everyone, even if it's not our preference. As we draw closer in heart, it becomes easier to grow all of these other categories. We move together in a non-linear fashion, which means as we start to whiff intimacy, as we start to work our way through these four things, We don't just stay there. There's a continued acceleration toward one another and deeper intimate relationships inside of community. And this is how God has designed us to live. Intimacy is is a description of what happens when we live like Jesus with each other. In order to have real community, we have to create vulnerable fellowship, which leads to true intimacy. Intimacy. Now, I'm going to give you the application of how all these things worked in my relationship with Jesus or with Casey, my wife. Jesus is not my wife. <laughs> so the story of how Casey and I got to know each other is a useful illustration for intimacy and in how the cycle works. So everybody close your eyes and imagine with me. It's 2017, and we're on a mission trip to Atlanta. You can open your eyes. You don't have to give them closed the whole time. And admittedly, I didn't even know Casey's name before we left. So clearly, I didn't know anything about her. Um, And so we had been in a little tiny van for like almost a full day as we drove down to Atlanta. And over the course of that week, we started to grow in our friendship. We had more knowledge of each other. Um, We'd share funny jokes. We took silly pictures. And we prayed together which sometimes can not be great for a friendship of a guy and a girl because it draws you really intimate pretty quick. Um, But it didn't on this trip, and we're fine. I wouldn't say that we really experienced depth with each other on the trip, however. It took working at camp, which is where Fall Retreat was at, Sunstream Retreat Center. We worked at that camp for the summer, and I unknowingly asked her really deep, questions when I was just trying to like break some awkward moments. I would ask questions like when you have kids, are you going to send them to private school, public school, or homeschool school then? <laughs> and it was pretty awkward in the moment because eventually I would, I was asking my wife where we were going to send our kids to school at. I didn't know that in the moment, but we did end up getting deeper as we discussed why we wanted those things, right? I got to know her heart on a more deep level. We established a great friendship, and not more than a month into working at camp together, I confessed my feelings for her. Funny story, she left me basically on red in the phone call until later that night. So that was fun. (laughs) Love you, honey. (laughs) Um, So we didn't actually start to establish this mutual dependency until I asked her to be my girlfriend. One specific but very casual example of dependency was when Casey was living at campus courts that year. Uh, she would walk to campus in the morning or get a ride and It was funny because every time that I saw her, especially on Wednesdays because she had small group on Wednesdays, every time I saw her, her backpack was like packed full, and like she was like over here because it was <laughs> it was just so heavy she could barely walk with it on. Um, but on Wednesdays, she would have classes in the morning all the way into the afternoon, and then she would go to work in the piazza. And I remember, uh, it was just so funny, she would have her backpack that was overstuffed, the umbrella on her wrist, a full lunch box, like a water bottle, an extra pair of shoes, like she was ready to go for the day, you know what I mean? And then she would have about 30-minute window between when she left work and when she had to go to small group. And I would always have dinner made on Wednesday nights for her because she couldn't eat otherwise. I heard one. I heard one awe. That's what I was looking for here. But I wanted to make sure that she was fed so she wouldn't go to small group hungry. So that's what I'm talking about when it's mutual dependence. It's not always like something silly and sweet like that, you know. But sometimes that is what it is. Mutual dependency can just be that she depended on me to do something simple for her. And then when I move on to intimacy, I'm not talking about physical intimacy. Don't even go there. <laughs> I'm talking about when I got to know her heart, when I fully knew who she was, and I loved her despite her flaws. And this one is harder to pin down, but I think I've got one specific example. In 2017, I had a dream when we are at fall retreat. And this dream, I was really excited to see if it would come true because it was us on our wedding day. And I I really believe that it was a prophetic dream. Because I remember it was at Far Tree, we're at Sunstream, and I don't know if any of you went to Inspiration Point. Actually, it's funny, there's a video out there of a bunch of girls that reenacted our wedding. (laughs) And none of them were actually at our wedding. So, but I, I saw a vivid vision of when we were getting married, and I really do think it was prophetic. Um, and so I got really excited to see if that would come true, and I knew deep in, in my heart that I loved her and I wanted to be with her forever. Our story includes romance, but the odds are, for real community, yours will be more of a familial kind of love with intimacy with people in this room. It'd be great if it stopped there, but it doesn't have to. Next week, we're gonna talk about real responsibility in greater detail, but what I will say this week is that real community needs to go beyond these walls. We should always be looking for the next person to add to a small group, not because numbers matter, but because numbers mean souls. And there are souls out there that are destined to go to hell if we don't do something about it. And the creation of Vulnerable Fellowship urgently needs to go beyond these walls so that we can introduce more people into our family. I ask people from all over the country that have been in Chi Alpha why they like it. And the resounding response is that it feels like a family. And I would venture that many of you feel the same way about Chi Alpha. So my one question tonight is what are you going to do to contribute to a family feel? What will you do? Will you arrange hangouts with the people around you? Will you wait for the invite? When is the next time that you're going to ask somebody to go get coffee or organize a movie night? Have you ever approached your small group leader and confessed sin to them without them prompting you to say it. Are you only friends with people in your small group because of your small group leaders? Do you just have mutual acquaintances inside of the small group? How can you change it? Maybe God did something big in your life at Fall Retreat this past weekend. You should probably tell someone in your small group what he did and let them celebrate with you. I want to challenge every person in this room tonight to reflect how you might be able to create real community. Real community might seem like something that comes naturally to us, but you don't just stumble into healthy community, right? As challenge and conflict come, which it will, I ask that you spend time with the people who love you most so that you can soften your heart towards them. When people challenge you, meaning that they tell you that you should live a little bit differently, just know that it's not fun. So try to have grace with someone when they tell you how to live. Specifically, if they tell you maybe something isn't healthy for you. I struggle with this. The whole reason that we encourage challenge in this community is because love doesn't sit idly by as it sees an opportunity for growth. True love is willing to lay comfortability aside so that brothers and sisters can grow. And as you spend time with people, greater intimacy is soon to follow. We stand to gain so much from a community who deeply knows each other and loves each other despite our flaws. Our community should know what it looks like to be like Jesus to each other in full service of the greater good. If you don't belong to the family of God, I'd love to give you a chance tonight. If you want to stand with me, that'd be great. You see, Jesus' life is a perfect reflection of what it means to be in a real community. He's a person who allowed others to gather to do life with him. Not expecting anything in return. He lived this perfect, perfect sinless life so that those around him, so that you and I could spend eternity in the fullness of its love. Not only did he live this perfect life, but he knew that we were all flawed and that we had sin in our lives. And he couldn't stand idly by and watch it stay the same. See, he got up on a cross. The God of the universe got on a cross and died in our place. A death that was ours to die in order to accept this real relationship that god has for us all we have to do is respond so with heads bowed and eyes closed i want to give you an opportunity to give your life to Christ tonight and to join the family of god if you wish to put your faith in jesus and experience what real community can look like raise your hand on the count of three one Jesus, Lord, we thank you for this life that you lived. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the invitation into community, into the family. Lord, would you help us to live like the community that you've called us to? Thank you, Jesus. And tonight, for those of you who want to commit to being a real community, raise both of your hands. You can open your eyes and look around at those around you who have their hands raised. This is the group of people that God has asked you to participate with and grow in faith and friendship. If God did something in your life tonight, go up to the corners of the room and a small group leader will be up there and they'd love to hear about it and pray with you. Let's worship together.